A seismograph is an instrument used to detect and record earthquakes. And usually, it consists of a mass attached to a fixed base. When an earthquake occurs, the base moves and the mass does not. And the motion of the base with respect to the mass is commonly transformed into an electrical voltage. And that voltage is recorded on paper or magnetic tape or another recording medium. And in 132 AD, there was a Chinese scientist named Chang Heng. And he invented the first seismoscope. It was an instrument that could re register the occurrence of an earthquake. Now, what was unique about Heng's invention? We called it the dragon jar. Now, the dragon jar was a jar shaped like a cylinder, and it had eight dragon heads. And those eight dragon heads were arranged around the brim. And each of those dragons had a ball in its mouth. And around the foot of the jar, they had eight frogs, each underneath a one dragon head. When the earthquake occurred, a ball dropped from the dragon's mouth and was caught by the frog's mouth. Now, symbolically, in China, Imperial China, a dragon was a symbol of power and strength, and a frog, or a toad, was a symbol of wealth. It was common for a money frog to have a coin in its mouth as an offering for the owner or the household where the frog resides. Now, why does this happen? And who gets to decide when the earth moves? Only God can judge me. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm a man of faith, a husband, a father, and just someone trying to figure it all out. I'm here today to talk to you about things that are considered controversial. They might be considered eye-opening. They might be considered different. They're diverge, divergent ideas that may cause tension. But I'm here to talk about them in a way that allows us all to move forward and figure out the best of us and bring forth the best of us that is most likely located inside of us. And I do it by looking at history, music, and this series I'm looking at the music of Tupac Shakur. Only God Can Judge Me. Only God Can Judge Me was on Tupac Shakur's fourth studio album called All Eyes on Me. And this was the last album released during his lifetime. Came out in February of 1996 on Death Row Records and Interscope Records. And All Eyes on Me was the second album by Tupac to chart number one on both the Billboard 200 and the top R&B hip-hop albums. Sold 566,000 copies in its first week. Won the 1997 Soul Train R&B Soul Rap Album of the Year, and it happened after he passed away. The album was certified Diamond by the RIAA in July of 2014, 18 years after his death, with shipments of over 5 million copies. And it also was one of the first hip-hop albums that was a double album. And Tupac died seven months after the release of this album. And one of the lyrics that stood out to me 
obviously the concept of the title, Only God Can Judge Me. So at the end of our days, there's going to be one individual who's going to make a decision on our eternal destiny. And that would be God. And that was the, the message that, that Tupac was, was talking about in this song. Now what is also interesting, when we look at these lyrics, here's something that stood out to me. And something that we can apply to our own lives, our, our leadership and history and how we move forward in the world. Listen to this part of the song. Jealousy inside me, make him wish I died. Oh my Lord, tell me what I'm living for. Everybody's dropping, got me knocking on heaven's door. And all of my memories of seeing brothers bleed. And everybody grieves, but still nobody sees. Recollect your thoughts. Don't get caught up in the mix. Because the media is full of dirty tricks. Only God can judge me. The idea of grieving, being sad over something unfortunate occurring, but nobody seeing, in fact that there are unfortunate things that are occurring. And having these memories of seeing, you know, people dropping, dying, knocking on heaven's door, and then going back to this source, saying, you know, Lord, tell me what I'm living for. So, a lot of people can sit and look at a musician, especially a musician like a, a Tupac Shakur, and use a, a measurement device to try to decide if this person rejected God or if this person didn't reject God. But how can you be rejecting God and be talking to God at the same time? So what does exactly rejection mean? And then we start to think about ethics and the ethics of belief or how do we measure belief or how do we measure what goes on in someone's life? And, and what do our judgments mean? And how can this term, only God can judge me? How can we use that as a period and then live inside of that? Ethically, morally, justly, and how we carry ourselves and make our decisions. There's an issue of ethics and ethics inside of our professions and what do we accept money for and is it ethical well back in history slaves on the plantation needed medical care and they would have doctors who would charge a entire plantation for a year's worth of services $77 a year for a plantation worth of slaves. And there were some medical societies that believed that this was unjust. Not the idea of treating slaves, because everybody needed health care, but the fact of beginning to profit off of somebody's misery. So what they would do is they wouldn't just treat a slave or treat a plantation. They started to add extra fees or bills to health care, the health care of slaves. So there used to be like a typical visit would cost a dollar. But then it became staying up all night with somebody would go between $10 and $20. Maybe you attend a childbirth, that could be $20. Something happened in a childbirth, $30, $100, so on. And then there was 
a breakdown of the vaccinations of a slave that was two dollars maybe taking its tonsils out 10 to 50 traveling to the house would cost a bit of money too now was this ethical to begin to tack on these charges so one person would charge 77 dollars one person would charge individual prices for each part of treatment but then we find out through history that a large part of income from Southern doctors came from treating slaves. And before the Civil War, there was an increase in physicians in slave states than it was in non-slave-holding states. And doctors were following these extra sources of income. And then some doctors could combine it. They could combine their slave ownership. And also they would put a medical practice there at all. There all. So you can find doctors and slaveholding became stronger and stronger. So you could find doctors who may be hired to treat all of the slaves on a plantation for a year, or they could be paid on a case-by-case -case basis. In fact, they found that one physician in Louisiana would just work at a plantation and receive his entire year's salary working on a plantation. And this caused some turmoil. There were some medical societies that did not like this practice of entering into yearly contracts with plantation owners. But a doctor who did this took a risk because they could lose their practice and lose a great deal of e economics if they lost that contract or if they lost the slaves. So now, where do you set this? Some people felt that dealing in treating a slave needed medical care. But the idea of creating a, a profiting system off of somebody's misery, where did we place that? Where do you place that? If you pay a doctor by the year, you pay the doctor by a contract, or if you're a doctor, should you be treating slaves at all? Where do you put that? So is it ethical to profit off of someone's misery. How do you measure that? How do you measure profiting off of the misery of another person? Or is it ethical in our professions to move in a direction where we could possibly benefit or profit off of someone else's misery? Because we know somebody needs uh, help, but then at the same time, is there a line that you cross? Not just in slavery. Even today, Conflict Securities Advisory Group, and this is a research provider, and they identify companies that do business with Iran, North Korea, the Sudan, Syria, and Cuba. And there's 800 publicly traded companies. Now, they don't outright come out and say that this company is in South Korea, this company is in North Korea, this company is in Syria. It, it works differently. 
where you will find a public company, then you'll find companies underneath it that all get traced back to the main company. And this group will identify those. And then this group works with mutual fund providers and interest individual investors and pension systems and their asset managers. And they want to design funds and implement terrorist-free portfolios. That's what they look to do. So they look to find portfolios and investments that don't profit off of the miseries of, of others because there are people who do profit off the misery of others. So what do we do with that? I mean, there's oil companies that profited when Muammar Gaddafi was kicked out of Libya. And there was a lot of chaos when Muammar Gaddafi was, was, was expelled from Libya. Libya. And there are sanctions that say that 90% of all oil production be sent back to the official state oil company. And, and that actually hurt the earning potential of foreign companies who were working with Gaddafi before that. And then there's other companies who will benefit when he exits. So what happens in these situations? In these situations where there seems to be both uh, good, both bad, a little bit of mix, we have this idea where Tupac says, only God can judge me. At the end of my days, only God can look at me. And then we have this idea of, is it ethical to benefit or profit off the misery of another human being? Well, there's simply, you have these responses. It's either you're right and I'm wrong, and then we divide. There are camps of people who will say that this is the right direction to move in. And there are people who will say that this is the right direction to move in. And we see this all the time in, in church, right? We all hear one denomination say that this is the way to heaven. And then we'll hear another denomination that say this is the way to heaven. Or this is the way to hell, or this is the way to avoid heaven, or this is the way to avoid hell, and we'll, we'll stop. But then let's look at this for a second. Who benefits in this situation? Now, some people will say that you can't be a moderate, you can't be an independent, that you can't compromise, that you can't work together, that you have to be divided. Now, we don't, we don't say this, right? We don't come out and say we have to be divided, but we do say sometimes this is the right way and I have the right way and we'll double down on we're the right way but who wins in that situation how can you promote unity by initiating division you can't and how do you how do you how do you stay in a place of being a beacon of light and hope without marginalizing someone. 
Well, here's how you do it, I believe. The idea of only God can judge me. That at the end of days, the person who's going to be assigning the spots is going to be God. And it's better for us here on earth to make our decisions and live our lives in a certain way where we don't reject that idea and we move forward from a place of either where we believe or we don't believe and we take Pascal's wager. If it's gonna have, if there's a place that we want to be at the end of days, let's take that bet and live a life of compassion. And even if there's not a place at the end, let's live our lives from a place of compassion anyway, and it's a win-win. That's Pascal's wager. But here's the third way I think we can look at. It's called the science of I don't know. I don't know. But Tom Pringle said in the science of I don't know, he said this. When scientists do not know the answer to something, they do two things. Admit I don't know and say, let's find out. This is the basic of being scientific. This is what teachers should also be doing in order to develop scientific literacy in their pupils. The heart of scientific inquiry is this two-part, I don't know, let's find out attitude to ignorance. The fact that a teacher does not understand something can be turned into a wonderful opportunity to explore and to experience directly how real science works. Remember, one is being scientific when one says, I don't know. As long as it follow, uh, follows up with, Let's find out. Let's find out. What if we adopted that attitude? Only God can judge me. And we have two individuals who have two different viewpoints. What works? Let's find out. Or, I'm right, you're wrong. What promotes unity? I'm right, you're wrong, we go off in our separate directions. Or, let's find out and work together and move forward in unity. What about that in the workplace? Only God can judge me. Well, what's only God can judge me in the workplace? Well, it's the marketplace. The marketplace will ultimately decide if you are a success or if you're not a success. So inside of a corporation or a company or a small business, we have systems, we have goals, we have strategies. And at the end of the day, who's going to make that decision? Well, the marketplace does. If I provide any good or service, it's not me, it's not my coworker that's going to ultimately decide if we move forward as an organization. It's going to be the marketplace. So if I sell shoes, my allegiance to a particular system and my coworkers' allegiance to a particular system or strategy, at the end of the day, it's a wash, right? Top-down leadership, collaborative leadership. Henry Ford sold cars using an assembly line, top-down leadership. Ford is still successful today, correct? So it worked. 
You have other organizations that believe in a collaborative leadership style, shared decision making. Netflix works in that way. Netflix is successful. So what determines success? It wasn't the system that determined success. It was the marketplace that determined success. So isn't it better inside of an organization that if we have different systems, different beliefs, that we sit down and say, not let's dig us, let's dig a hole and let's dig a line and draw a line in the sand and that's tough leadership. Well, it's not. Why drive good people out of an organization over a system? Don't pick the system, pick the people. And, and not adopt the attitude of let's find out. Now, if we're going to find out together, what do you think will benefit you? So let's take the idea of let's find out together and the marketplace will judge me, the customer, or only God will judge me, God, or even only science will judge me. So there was a man. His name was Dr. Duncan McDougall. And Dr. Duncan McDougall didn't accept the idea of religion determining our final, our final resting place. So McDougall wanted to find out what happened when somebody died. And he wanted to find out if the psychic functions continued to exist as a personality or an individual after the death of body and the brain. He wanted to measure a soul. So what did he do? So McDougal makes a bed, and he arranges it on a light frame, and then he built a platform beam scale, and he made it down to two-tenths of an ounce. He then watched over six patients. All of these patients were in the end stages of a terminal illness. And both during and after death, he measured changes in weight and then eliminated psychological explanations and then he had a channel of loss that the doctor needed to explore, and this was the release of air in the lungs of the deceased. He did manage to deal with this and excluded it from his findings. And the doc doctor determined there was a weight loss of three-fourths of an ounce that could not be explained away. He determined that this weight loss was the soul leaving the body. Now, then he went and tried this test with 15 dogs. And he concluded that there was no weight loss at the time of death of these dogs. So then he believed that his theory that the loss in weight at the time of death of people he monitored was the soul leaving the body. And the New York Times published his results. Now some people said, look, there was, from a scientific point, that his experiments actually didn't prove a whole lot. And there was flaws in the way that he collected his evidence. Again, this was in 1907. But it did give somebody something to think about. Is there a soul? And does the body lose weight upon its demise? I don't know. But we can find out together. And only God can judge me. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson. And this has been my experience. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to stop for a minute. I want you to look up at the sky. 
and I want you to say what you're thankful for. Then I want you to put your feet on the ground and say, in this moment, I feel the ground underneath me. And then I'm going to walk forward. I'm going to walk forward in a way that is beneficial to the people around me. And I'm going to live from a place of compassion. I'm going to live from a place of my worth and my dreams and my goals. And at the end of the day, I would rather move together with people from a place of let's find out together than a place of polarization and division. And this has been Stephen Thompson. And this has been my experience. Have a great one.